Well, good morning. Great to be with you here this morning. I almost didn't make it. So I was driving through Scappoose. I read a church sign that said, we're now serving pumpkin spice communion. <laughs> I said, that's me. <laughs> but no, I've met a different Sunday. I guess I'll have to come back and try that one, huh? Pumpkin spice communion. Can you imagine? Anyway, it's a delight to be here. And uh, let's, uh, by the way, music uh, worship team, great choice of music this morning. Thank you. Well done. Well done. Grateful. Hey, let's, uh, let's just do a word of prayer here, and we'll dive into the book of Jude. We're going to be in Jude this morning. Father, thank you for uh, these people. Thank you for a long history. Uh, not always a smooth history, and sometimes a rocket history in terms of growth and all sorts of things, just like life is. And the interesting thing is, through all of that, both the wrestling of things and the rejoicing in great things, you're very present. Father, this morning we come to you once again looking for that presence, that you would join us here and you say that you do, Lord Jesus, and Lord, that you would uh, help us to sort of, uh, as it were, part the clouds and part things that might be in the way and just to listen to the words of your half-brother and your servant, Jude, as he addressed believers uh, toward the end of our New Testament age. And that we might take this message and make it live in our lives so that over the long haul, we become those agents of yours who cause that message to take life in the lives of hundreds, if not thousands of others. So, Father, we want to dream big this morning and we want to join Jude as he helps us to think through how to do that. Lord, may our thoughts, our words bless you, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, all right. So if you have your scripture with you, we're going to be in the book of Jude. I, I hate to even call it a book, right? It's more like a postcard. And um, it's, it's uh, the fourth shortest book in the New Testament. And uh, it, uh, it really is a sermon that has been turned into writing. And I suspect that Jude probably said this many times in many places before it got written down and preserved for you and me. So... Um, I was at, uh, at a conference probably three years ago, four years ago maybe, uh, speaking at a pastor's and wife's conference in Arizona. And after the third time I'd spoken, which was my last time at the conference, I had a uh, young pastor. Now, everybody's younger than me, so young is a relative term, right? I had a young pastor come up, and uh, he said, you got time for a question? And I said, well, of course I do. And he said, uh, um, so said, I've noticed that, um, that you're kind of older than the rest of us that are here. And I said, it's that obvious, is it? To, to which he kind of looked a little embarrassed, but I said, that's okay. You know, I, I get it. So what's your question? He, he says, here's my question. He said, I'm, I'm a, I've, I've been in the pastoral ministry for maybe 10 or 12 years. He said, I, I'm really, really tired. He said, I came here hoping for... Um, just a word that would help me go on. And he said, some of the words have really been helpful to me. But here's my question for you. How do you really stay in the game for the long haul? How do you stay in the game? And I looked at him and said, okay, so that's your question. How do you stay in the game? Yeah, so said, that's my question. I said, here's my answer. You stay in the game. See, that's the message of Jude. Jude is addressing churches that have now popped up 
communities of believers all over Asia, out into some in Europe, probably some the other direction, and out toward uh, Persia and those areas that we're familiar with. The church is indeed expanding through small groups of people and community after community, city after city, and some of those groups have been around a long time that they're beginning to fall out of the game. They're beginning to lose energy. They're beginning to not perform in ways that carry their agency in Christ. Christ has called us to be an agent. When he prayed to the Father in John 17, the last part of that prayer, he prays for our agency. He prays that, that we would be one. That we would be one so that the world would know that God the Father sent God the Son. And it's in that oneness, that agency lived out in the world, that we become people who have a power to infect change the lives of other people through the reality of Jesus. And it's what's happening here in Jude is that's not happening. Jude is looking around at communities of believers that have existed for quite a while now. Many of these probably were communities planted, you know, during the life of the Apostle Paul. We're, we're talking about Jude writing this letter long after the end of the book of Acts. So, so there's been time for churches to grow up to perform well, to make disciples, and then, frankly, folks, to somehow manage to um, not stay in the game. I hate to use a coaching term, but that's, that's the best term I can come up with. And really, his question was a question that changed my life because I'm looking at, at a term, even then, I wasn't a kid by any stretch when he asked me this question, and I left going, so how do I stay in the game? You know, if he saw me that as one who had stayed in the game for a long time, how do I do that? And I became a little bit fearful that it might just be easy to not stay in the game. And I found great uh, help through the words of Jude. So if you're there in verse 1, but the context as you, as you get it, let me just back up for a sec. The context, I don't want to stay in it, but it's important you know it. And I've sort of stated it, but let me just say it. We've, we've had churches that have now lived and lasted a long time that they've gone through a cycle. And they grew up and they were young and they were eager and they faced all the challenges and they began to win people and make disciples. And then they got in a pattern where it became like, oh, this is what we do every day. This is cool. And they became relaxed and lackadaisical about it. And what happened is they got comfortable and in their comfort, they began to stop doing what actually makes the church live. And just so you don't think about that now all through the service, what makes a church live while knowing the word is crucial and being saved in Christ is crucial and all those things are excellent, but what makes the body of Christ live is making other disciples. When the body of Christ stops doing what Jesus died for, and that was to bring people into an eternal reality with him, when the body of Christ that's called to be that agency stops being the agency, then it begins to lose energy. And it begins to fall apart. And that's what Jude saw. He saw churches that had done great, probably churches like in Rome and, and Corinth and Ephesus and all of those places. And all of a sudden, what well, you know, because Pastor Dave led you through a study of seven of those churches. And every one of those churches, which was a great church in its day, every one of them fit into this category. They had lost their energy, lost their way, lost their impact. And here's Jesus knocking at the door at the end of that, saying, why don't you open the door and I'll come back in and you and I'll eat together and we'll talk together and let's get back to where you belong. Because there are people out there dying without me and they need you 
to be that light for them. Well, so Jude then picks up that story. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to those who are called beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. If you're taking notes, here's the first thing I'd like you to note. Is, is that Jude starts by underscoring what our identity ought to be in Christ. Now, our identity is crucial. How people identify us is absolutely critical to our walk and our ministry before the world in general and in, in light of what Christ has done for us. So identity is crucial, and the enemy of your soul would like nothing better than to wreck your identity. If you're a loving church in town, he would like not better to turn you into a fighting church in town. You know, if you're a people who are out there rescuing people who are desperately in need of Jesus, he would like nothing better than to turn your eyes inward and let you just forget all about those people. That's how the enemy of our soul works, and Jude knows that. And Jude knows another thing, and that's the enemy of our soul sends us people who will actually teach us to do that. We need to be aware of these people. And Jude's going to call our attention to that. But look at the identity. I don't want to linger here because time really goes quickly. And uh, the people said here that I only had until 1230 to get this finished. So, uh, and if I go that long, I'm not going to like me. So hey. Jude says, uh, who are you? You're called, you're beloved, you're kept. These are crucial things. You're called, I'm not going to linger on it, but that word means you've received an appointment. It's not related to your salvation. Obviously, God through the word and his spirit interacts with you through the work of Christ on the cross, and he brings you into a role with him. This is not what's in focus here. What's in focus here is Judas saying, because you're saved, you have an appointment. You're called for something, okay? And then he says to these believers, he says, not only do you have an appointment, but you're beloved in God the Father. And, and this term literally means that um, God has, listen, this is really cool. God has high esteem for you. This isn't, an, isn't emotional love. This isn't love like perhaps is thought of in the world as love, whatever that is. This is God in heaven through the work of Jesus Christ looking upon you and me if we, are, if we have a relationship with Christ, if we have become saved, use our terminology, and God having high esteem for who we are. And that partially, or maybe largely, is because we are who we are in Christ. And God the Father has ultimate esteem for his Son. So we're beloved. We have an appointment. We're beloved. And then he says, and you're kept. And that sense of being kept there is being guarded. And there's a reason that you're guarded by God the Father and God the Son. And the reason is, is that you're called to carry out a ministry here. And you're going to need that guarding because it's going to be in an environment that isn't always going to welcome you, is it? And so right away, Jude says, your environment, your identity rather, you need to understand you're kept. This is like the, 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 the mind of God that is beyond all comprehension and yet he guards us, doesn't he? He guards our minds and our hearts. This is like in Proverbs chapter 4, where, where the proverb says to guard your heart with all diligence because from it flow the springs of life. And the good news is, is you don't have to just guard your heart. You have a guard on your heart. And that's Jesus Christ himself who God has appointed to keep you. So you're kept. 
You're guarded. These are all crucial things because what he calls us to do requires all of those. We need to understand that in our best days and our worst days, we are highly esteemed by God. We are loved. Hmm? We need to understand that, that this is an appointment we've got. This is an appointment to carry on something important in this world. And, and through Jesus Christ and our faith in him, God has offered us. No, he's brought us and asked us and delivered this appointment to us. And lastly, he says, I know this is going to be difficult. This isn't always going to be fun, but I'm going to keep you. You're in my hand. I'm not going to let go of you. It's that Ephesians piece. First chapter of Ephesians, where you have people who are adopted and blessed and chosen hmm, and delivered from sin and enriched with a fellowship of great people. Hmm, they are forgiven. They are gathered together in great communities and ultimately gathered together for all eternity. They're they all of those things, and on top of that, they're held. So the picture is, is that once God has you in his hand, he's not going to let you go. You're kept. I say to myself sometimes, if that's true, why sometimes am I so afraid of being what God asks me to be? If I'm loved and esteemed and appointed, then God's probably figured out that whatever he's asked you and me to do, somehow we can't. And when we get to the point where we believe we can't, we've been misled. And we need to circle back around. I love the songs because a couple have had that feel this morning of, of kind of circling back around to something. That was, a, that was a great choice. That's exactly right. And the truth of it is that our spiritual lives, many times we'll have to circle back around, won't we? That we'll kind of drift off. And the good news is, is that Jesus is there waiting to welcome us back. So that's kind of the look of it. Why is he saying this? Well, in verse 3, we get an idea now of the uh, of the topic. You thought I would never get to the topic of Jude. But it takes all of that to get there. If you don't know this, if you don't understand your identity, then what Jude has to say makes no sense. So we need to know who we are in Christ, right? And who we are in the hand of God the Father. And I have only begun, I haven't even begun to do it justice, but enough to at least see what Jude had in mind this morning. So in verse 3, he calls us beloved again. He says, beloved, that's us. You are loved by God. You are highly esteemed, he says to his readers. Well, I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation. So here he said he had a plan. He had a plan. I was going to write you a letter, and it was about this salvation that we share. I was just going to remind you, I think he's saying, about how important that is. And, and it is. We ought to be reminded of that once in a while, Right? I mean, I mean I'm, you know, I just celebrated 75 years. And uh, I love reminding myself of that. You know, we're, no matter what age we are, we're never guaranteed another day, are we? But I want to know that that day, whatever that day is that's next, is in the hands of God. As will be the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day because Jesus is hanging on. I'm kept. So it's good to be reminded of those things. And Jude says, I was going to write this letter to remind you of that. But then he says this, I felt the necessity, I think God probably spoke to him, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, once for all handed down for the saints. So he said, I was going to remind you of these things, 
And then it's as if the Spirit of God said, me, said to me, no, they already know these things. The problem is they're not doing these things. They're not contending for the faith. I have made an appointment. I've put them here to be examples of the faith, witnesses of the faith, living words of the faith, sharers of the faith, pass, those who pass the faith on. They know the faith. They're not contending for the faith. That doesn't mean you're contentious. Some people rewrite this verse to say we fight for the faith, and I think it puts kind of the wrong emphasis on it. What we're here for is we're here to stand, as it were, as God's agent, representing the faith before people who come from all sorts of ways of life, who have all sorts of kinds of thoughts, who've lived all sorts of kinds of things, and they need us to represent fully, truthfully, out in the open, who Jesus is for everyone, and especially in our lives, in our agency, our assignment, our appointment. And so Jude writes this saying, I got to write to you for this reason. I need you to contend earnestly for the faith. That word that in the, in the New American Standard uh, that is translated earnestly is, is the word that literally means agonize. Jude is writing to us saying, I want you to agonize for the faith. I want you to look out on the world and realize that there are billions upon billions, there weren't in Jude's time, there are in our time, billions upon billions of people who face a Christless eternity. If you and I don't contend for the faith, if God's people Followers of Jesus Christ, ostensibly, if we don't contend for the faith, we are dooming some to loss. So he says, I want you to agonize for the faith. I don't just want you to contend for it. I don't want you to just talk about it. I don't want you to, to, uh, to just say pretty things about it and once in a while make a comment or maybe pray in public or whatever. He said, I literally want you to be in agony with regard to the faith. That this great gift that you've been given isn't being passed on and needs to be. You need to have that kind of agony for it. Wow. That's an incredible statement, isn't it? We need to know why they're struggling so. And verse 4 tells us why the people he's writing to are struggling. For certain persons, Jude writes, have crept in unnoticed. They've crept into the fellowships of believers. They've crept into the Christian communities. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. So what he's saying is, is that over time what has happened is as, as believers have become, in a sense, less in the game, if you will, what has happened is it's opened the door for others to come in and to begin to teach false things. Others to come in and to be then to live out false things and in an effect influence others to live like them. And so you begin to have a deterioration of the community. And the sad part of it is, is once the community begins to deteriorate, then the work that it could do in others around it, that begins to deteriorate. We begin to look more and more, these people begin to look more and more like the world around them. 
or they convinced themselves that they needed to totally separate from the world around them and guard everything that they had and, and not fulfill their calling, their appointment. And one way or another, it begins to deteriorate. They begin to lose their effectiveness. And so Jude is calling them to recognize this. And in fact, when he refers to these false teachers, I'm not going to go through all of this, but if you look over in verse 12, for instance, he says, these are men. Now, that's kind of a generic word. I got a hunch that probably we're talking about men and women here. These were men who are hidden reefs in your love feasts when they feast with you without fear. Think of a hidden reef. What does it do to a boat? If you're a, if you're a person who boats out there in the ocean, if you know hidden reefs are not good ideas, right? Not good things. They can cause great damage and ruin. He says they, uh, they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves. They're clouds without water. I don't know how it's been like here, but where I live, we've lived through a summer of clouds without water. I mean, every day, in fact, we, we hope for rain. We've gone like 70-some days without rain of any significance. And many days it's clouded up and we go, oh, it's going to rain, and it disappoints us. These people, he says, are like clouds without water, a lot of promise, nothing good delivered. They're like autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead and uprooted. They're like wild waves of the sea casting up their shame, like foam, like wandering stars for whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Later, he says in verse 16, these are grumblers finding fault, following after their own lusts, they speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining an advantage. Wow, great group, huh? And unfortunately, Jude says of the churches of his time, I'm looking around and I'm seeing that you've been infiltrated. And it's cost you and it's cost those in your community who need to know the reality of Christ a great deal. Now, the good news, he doesn't stop there. If he just left you there, you'd feel awful. But he doesn't leave it there. And so I want to take you now for the rest of the time we have, just about 15, 20 minutes, and I want to take you into his answer. How does Jude, it's one thing to say all of this, but how does Jude say we can manage it? How does he say for us individually and us as a group of believers in a given community, how can we manage this? How can we, in fact, if we got a little out of the game, how can we get back in the game? And, and if we're being tested, how can we stay in the game to answer my young friend's question? And uh, Jude answers it. And I can answer it for you in three words that, that you need to remember. If you can remember these three words and a little bit that goes with them, you've got Jude. And here are the words. You ready? It's rooted, reaching, real. If you can remember those three words, it's going to be a test at the end of this. I'm going to hand out paper with a pen. And if you don't pass, then we're going to preach the whole sermon over again. No, we're not. Rooted, reaching, real. Well, how does that go? Let's take a look at verse, um, verse 20. Verse 20, after Judas said all of this about these false teachers and about the challenge and about calling us to become contenders of the faith again, Jude then, then says, here's basically how you handle this. But you, beloved, there's that word again, you highly esteemed by God. 
building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. So here's the rooted. If you look at these two, these two verses, the key in these verses is in verse 21, where Jude writes, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Remember, you're kept. God, in a sense, has his hand on you. He's keeping you. Now Jude says, I want you to join the process. I want you to step in and go, yes, and I have a responsibility. We have a responsibility together. This is a together thing now. He's talking to a community, not to individuals, to work together to keep yourselves in the love of God. Something that God is totally committed to. So just join God's commitment and say, okay, together we're going to work. We're not going to take each other apart. We're not going to be overcritical. We're not going to be those other things. But what we are going to do is we're going to work hard to make sure that all of us, as much as possible, some more mature than others, right? Some longer in Christ than others. Some new that need to learn. Some old that probably need to learn again. All of us are going to work together, and we're going to work together to keep ourselves in the love of God. We're going to be rooted. See, if you're going to face a storm, if you're going to agonize for the faith, if you're going to step out into that world that's become harder and harder for the faith, you need to be rooted. Otherwise, this world will unroot you. Is that a word? Well, it is now, isn't it? We just did it. So, yes, it will unroot you. Anyway, so there are three things here that will help. Uh, Jude, by the way, was really great with using three things. He, he, he was probably a great preacher because all great preachers use three things. And, and Jude does this every time. So here are the three things that help us be rooted. Back in verse 20. Building yourselves up on your most holy faith. So the first thing is there's a mutual building up. It's what he calls us to. To have words that are building words. To have words that are constructive words. To have words that, that when we have to, you mentioned correct, correctable a little bit this morning. Um, to have words when, when correction is needed, they are nevertheless tearing down kinds of words. I had a teacher when I was in the third grade who, who understood how to wreck you with words of correction. She was a great teacher, but if you got called to be corrected, you ended up being basically shredded. And then I had a teacher in the sixth grade who was a no-mess-with-me kind of teacher. But when he corrected you somehow, he corrected without you making, making you feel like a terrible failure. He corrected you with the kind of thing that he said, you know, I know better of you than this. Somehow he communicated that over and over and over again. Every, every, re, every uh, reunion that I've been at for the class that I was with, I grew up in a small town in a little school, and, and so all of us graduate, graduates, all 17 of us, we uh, get together once in a while just to remind ourselves of how good it was to be there. And whenever we're together, someone will always ask about this teacher. Is this teacher still alive? Is this teacher? And then everybody will have a reflection. 
He just knew how to build. And what, he, what God is saying, or what the, Jude is saying here under the inspiration of the Spirit, is to build ourselves up in the most holy faith. I ask myself whenever I'm going to preach, whenever I'm going to talk to somebody about something, whenever, one of the things that I have as a memory cue is, is Bert, you want to use building words. E even if this involves a time, and you know, he's reflected on me as a leader, and, and there have been times, you know, as there is in every leader's life or every parent's life, or just about everyone's life where you have to do a correction. And the challenge is to learn how to correct in a way that builds, not in a way that tears down. And so Jude is saying, hey, build yourselves up. Even in these difficult times, learn how to build, first thing. Second thing in terms of being rooted is he said, praying in the Holy Spirit. And here I don't think the picture is of some sort of special kind of prayer. I don't think this has to do with the prayer language, however you feel about that. This has to do with understanding the heart of God and praying consistently with the heart of God. What does God reveal through his word is on his heart, and how does that become part of my prayer life? Hmm? And, and so we begin to work together. Yes, we should pray for, pray for our needs. Yes, we should pray for a lot of things, which we do. But, but we should pause sometimes and ask ourselves, as I do, and learn from this, and from this guy who said, how do you stay in the game? And he made me think about it. That, that I need to come to God every day, a couple times a day I do, early in the morning and late at night, and basically say, uh, what that is on your mind that I need to pray about today? Not what's on my mind, not what's in my thoughts, not what I've encountered, all of those things may be important, but what's on your mind, Lord? What's on your mind, Spirit of God? What have you said to me out of your scripture that's something that I need to remember before you today? And Judah's saying, you need to learn to pray like that. Yes, pray for your daily needs because the Lord says in his model prayer, you ought to do that. But there are lots of other things in that prayer that direct us toward God's heart for things. And we should develop that ability. So Jude is saying, build one another, and then he actually gives you a huge building block through prayer, praying consistently with the heart of God. And then the third thing he says is waiting anxiously, verse 21, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. If you read Paul's letters and read the letters that are written toward the end of uh, the New Testament, what we call the general epistles, Hebrews through Jude, you'll find that the great source of hope for believers was the expectancy of the return of the Lord. It's interesting in Corinthians, that great letter on, uh, that great chapter there on love, where he ends it with these three things endure, faith, hope, and love. You'll find in many of his other letters, he changes the order. And he changes it to faith, love, and hope. And I think the reason that he does that is because in living out our lives in this world, sure, faith, hope, and love are crucial. And, and in the Corinthian church and in settings like that, it was absolutely crucial because love was pretty diminished in that setting. But there's another thing that helps us to live out our lives, and I think that's why Paul shifts it sometimes in relationship to our spiritual development, if you will. And he says, faith, love, and hope. Because hope is that thing, and the hope is centered on the fact that I'm going to see Christ again. You know, either Jesus is going to return visibly. I would love to be here when that happens. 
I want to be ready to be here if I'm here when that happens. And that was a hope that drove the apostles and the believers of old. And that's, I think, why it lingers there. It's not that love has lost its importance, but hope is so crucial to you and me. And, and uh, Jude says here, being anxious for the return of Christ. Why? Because we need hope. If we're going to live our lives out, out there where there isn't a whole lot of hope, out there where, you know, there's even some animosity that we're going to have to face, we need the hope that Christ offers. And so we live anxiously for that. By the way, if I'm not here when Christ returns, he's still going to return for me, right? One day he's going to, whether I'm in my sleep or standing here preaching or whatever it might be, he's going to say, you, home. It's a great hope. Just had one of my best friends here from seminary days uh, drop me a note saying, because uh, he and I do projects together with other churches, saying, um, I've just been diagnosed with terminal pancreatic cancer. I say, you know, he says, this is kind of hard news coming to Kathy and me. You know, he's worked until he was like, he's, been, he's my age. And I think they were hoping for a few days of other things. And he talked a little bit about it, but nevertheless, he says, I know where I'm going to be when eventually this becomes a reality. And then he ends the letter by just simply saying to me, I'll see you in the heavens. That's hope. That's hope. This is a guy who's fought a good fight. Who's lived a life out and literally impacted hundreds and hundreds of congregations, hundreds and hundreds of leaders. And, and instead of saying, how come this is happening to me? He's simply saying, God has given me a great life. <laughs> and this is hard news, but it's not news without hope. And see, that's what we need to have. If we're going to deal with our lives and the things that are in it, hope is crucial. It's particularly crucial if we're going to be contenders for the faith because the enemy of our souls would not want us to have hope. Get lost in the difficult things. Lose hope. So we are contributors. How do we build one another up? We build one another up in the holy faith Teaching one another, encouraging one another, working with one another. We build one another up by praying consistent with the heart of God, the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we build one another up by being people of hope for one another. As sad as my friend's letter was, and as sad as it made be, a few tears shed over it. When I was finished, I went, he just invested hope in me. It was a letter of hope. And we're going to need that if we're going to be the agents of Christ. We're also going to need to reach. Listen, there's no use having roots if you don't reach. Hmm? Trees have roots to hold them in the ground so that when they reach and the wind blows, they stand up to it. And so Jude says, basically, you need to reach. If you're going to be rooted, it goes with reaching. If you're building roots and not reaching, then you're just going to become a stale Christian. And you're not going to accomplish what God has called you to accomplish. So every day we need to think about the reach. Who do I reach today? 
And listen to this. I'm not going to linger over this. In verse 22, he's come out of this, this talk about this is how it's done. Build each other in the faith. How do you do that? Um, brother, keep yourself in the love of God. How do you do that? Building yourself in the most holy faith, praying in the spirit, keeping, um, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life, all of those things. Then he says, you've got to reach, and here's how you reach. And have mercy on some who are doubting. So there are some people around you, even believers, who have doubts. And you need to reach to those doubters. You need to reach with love. You need to reach with hope. You need to reach with prayer, but you need to reach. And I tell you, even at a congregation this size, you will find doubts. And we need to be the kind of people that when people have doubts, someone's not afraid to share them because someone else is going to reach and is going to answer those doubts and help with those doubts. And there are people out there who wonder if the church would be a good place for them and they just have doubts. And if they actually bumped into somebody who loved God dearly and loved him so much that they knew how to be rooted and out of their roots how to reach, they would end those doubts and they would become part of the community. <clears throat> and more importantly, they would become part of the community of Christ. So we've got to reach to doubts. But, but that's not where it stops. Jude writes, yeah, and you need to save others, snatching them out of the fire. Okay, this is a little harder reach, isn't it? Now we're talking about people that you look at them and go, this person's just right on the edge of hell. This is a hard reach. Jude says you need to reach. You need to agonize over the gospel so much. You need to agonize for the faith so much and that people need to be in the faith that you have no fear of reaching like this. Hmm? Kind of scary, isn't it? But remember, you're highly esteemed, you're appointed, and you're kept. Through Christ, through the Word, through His Spirit, through other believers, you can do this. So you reach to some with doubts, you reach to some who are so close to really an eternity without Christ that, that there, there's a fearful sort of thing, snatching them from the fire, as it were, and then he doesn't stop there. I wish he had of, but he doesn't. He says, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. So he said, there are some people you're going to have to reach to who um, just by the very nature of them, you will be afraid of them. They will bring fear into your heart to think that you have to reach into that life. And he's saying, that's what you build roots for. Wow, that's the church. So we're called to do all of those things. We're called to reach. When we stop reaching, this is an extreme statement I'm going to make, but when we stop reaching, eventually we stop being the church. Because we're called to make disciples. We're called to reach. Just like our Savior reached, gave his life, faced things that you and I could ever imagine. In that whole period, of, I can't imagine what it was like for the Lord to be dead and for where he went and what he experienced and all of that kinds of thing until he eventually, through the power that was within him, was restored to life as we sung about this morning. I'm going, if God's able to do that, I can probably face these things. 
And if you're with me on these things, huh? If it's not just me alone, but it's us together, we can reach like that. To some with doubts, to some right on the edge of the pit, to some who by the very nature of how they live are just scary. We can do it. You know, sometimes it's the just scary who get saved that become the, the amazing people in the Lord. It's a powerful thing, isn't it? Judah's not holding anything back here, is he? This is a short letter, but it is loaded. The last thing is, you know the words, rooted, reaching, and real. You pass the test. It's quite a call. So in verses 24 through 25, he takes us back to something. We'll wrap it up here. So we're, we're just rolling out of time. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Now we're back to identity. Remember when we started identity, we said we were appointed, we're called, we're loved, and we're kept. And we're offered God's mercy and his love and his peace. All those are big things for us if we're going to live our lives out as contenders for the faith. And even at that, it's going to be challenging, isn't it? So now he takes us back to our identity and he fills in the rest of it. And he says, but here's the deal. You've got to be real. Probably 25, 30 years ago when I was much younger, I ended up in a store once. <clears throat> five or six check places to get out. I was at the furthest from the door. A guy drove into the parking lot who I could tell by just the way he drove in, he was really drunk. Got out of his car, stumbled to the door, stumbled into the store. I said to myself before God, God, have him go to any check stand but this one. And he came right to that one. And then he started giving the person there a really hard time. So finally I walked up to him and said, you know, if you, we need to leave. You and I need to leave. If you don't leave, they're calling the police. You're going to be arrested, and you don't want to be arrested. He said, it would not be good. So let's go outside. He said, oh, you want to go out and fight? No, I just want you out of here. Let's go. And he did. So we went out, and the odd thing, I won't go into all of it. It was a crazy story. This guy was about this much bigger than me, so, you know, it was one of those. <clears throat> I talked him out of his car keys. I, yeah, he drove a big pink Lincoln Continental. Talked him out of his car keys. Talked him to getting in the car, letting me drive him home. I had a Toyota Corolla. So now I have a 300-pound guy in the seat next to me in a Toyota Corolla. All right? And um, he's, he's bumbling and he's difficult. And finally, about halfway there, he says, so are you a preacher? I said, well, no, not really. You know, kind of. He said, I thought so. <laughs> so you're not going to like what you find at my house. I said, oh, what's that? He said, you're, you're going to find that I'm living with a woman. I said, well, so am I. No problem. Okay, that worked. He's living with his sister, it turned out. But anyway, that's another story. So I get him home. I keep the keys. I know when he sobers up, he's got to find me. I leave a card because I got his car keys. So about 10 o'clock that night, he calls me. And I say, hello. And he says, is this Downs? 
He's a real sweet man. I said, yeah, it is. What's up? He said, I got one question for you, Downs. That's kind of how he said it. I said, okay, what? He said, are you real? And, and, and to me, see, I'm not, that's not saying to, to tout my own thing. What it did, as with the question that the young man asked me, how do you stay in the game? This guy invested something in my life that changed how I thought about things. That, that people are out there and they don't care what we say or all those kinds of things or what we have and don't have and what we drive and don't drive and all those kinds of things. Here's what the world cares about. Are you real? Rooted, reaching, real. So that's a challenging thing to remember. What gives it strength now is this. Real quickly, verse 24. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. See, what scares me to death is that if, if, if I know how unreal I can be, I know how I can stumble and fumble. Maybe you feel the same way. You go, oh, I'm really uncertain about this. Jude comes back to it now and says, take heart. You're serving one who can keep you from stumbling. So maybe even when I think I'm stumbling, I'm not. Maybe even when I think I'm stumbling, I'm actually being weak so that Christ can be strong for the person I'm talking to, visiting with, conversing with. But I know one thing, Jude says, if you're real, if you're that person who understands you're appointed, you're loved, you're kept, you've got mercy and peace and love on your side, you're highly esteemed, you've got all of these tools and you've got each other, and I want you to know you also have Christ who can keep you from stumbling. You don't need to have this fear. And then he says, he takes it one step further. And to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Not only will he keep you from stumbling, but he's going to have you stand in his presence. And get this, not a little tainted, not brushed by sin. Oh, He's going to make you stand in his presence, blameless. If he can do that for me, I think maybe I can manage a lot of things I don't think I can manage. That I have no fear of being real in Christ. Because I have this one who can keep me from stumbling, even when I think I'm going to, and who one day can bring, him into his, bring me and you into his very presence, blameless. And with great joy. And I take it there that joy means not just your joy, but God's joy. To the only God our Savior, he writes, through Jesus Christ our Lord, <coughs> be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now, and forever. He's the real God. You can count on him forever. Rooted, reaching, real. Because there are people out there that need you and me to contend for the faith. Well, we need to close and we're going to, let me uh, pray for us. Let's come before the Lord and if, wherever you are in terms of this sermon, maybe you need to, um, maybe you need to come back and get centered once again on 
I'm, I'm being built up in the faith. Maybe you need to take a look at your prayer life. Maybe um, somehow something in your life has moved you away from the reality of Christ in your life. Or maybe you're facing an opportunity that Judah's talking about. And, and, and in listening to this, you're saying, Judah's saying to me, I need to step up to this. I need to talk to this person. I need to encounter this thing that's challenging me. I need to take these things on because I'm appointed. I'm loved. I'm kept. Whatever it might be that's on your heart, even as I pray, I would invite you to pray. To ask God for strength, to ask God for forgiveness, to ask God for guidance to ask God to express his love or his guardianship of you, whatever it might be. This would be a great quiet moment. So I'm going to be quiet for just 10 or 15 seconds, let you have your thoughts, and I'll close in prayer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the words written here that have touched so many lives for century upon century. Words written by your half-brother Jude, who during your life here on earth hardly believed in you at all. Maybe not at all. But after your crucifixion and your resurrection, he became, among others of your family, stalwart believers. He understood that he had an appointment. He understood that he was loved. He understood that he was kept. He understood fully that you had given your life so that he in turn could live like that. Not fearfully, but courageously, contending anxiously with with vigor and strength and love and understanding and grace for the faith that made all the difference for him. Father, we're grateful for these words, and we pray that you would now make them part of our lives, that if we need roots, that we would move in that direction to be rooted again in you. If we're rooted, but we haven't reached in a long time, Lord God, I pray this week you would confront us with an opportunity to reach. And above all, I would pray that you would help us to be real. You have given yourself so that we can be really yours. So that when people look at us, when they hear our words, when they see how we live, when they understand how we talk and how we forgive and how we love and and how we too offer grace and mercy to others, when they see all of that reality of you and us, that what they'll see is real that is, in fact, a real representation of you. So wherever we are, wherever I am, Lord, I pray that you would teach us today, teach us throughout the week, and help us to be, as Jude called us, to be contenders of the faith once for all given to the saints. Father, it would be a great joy 
And we thank you for the opportunity in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.